Uh, well, I enjoyed having Brother Kessling with us. Uh, he's a, a very, uh, I don't know, joyful man to have around because he has a, a good spirit. Now, he talks like a bear and a lion, and uh, he really uh, does tangle a little bit when folks don't, with folks that don't line up in the church, but um, he also is a great praying man. I don't know if you knew this, but every morning here he was up around 4.30 and down here praying in the church or not here. Sometimes he came back home a little earlier, but praying and seeking God. And uh, there's something about God knows in services, you know, um, just what we need. And I think more than anything else, we just need the liberty of the Holy Ghost just to kind of worship God. And he was bothered because he didn't preach up to his uh, full ability, and he didn't do that. But um, there was something about it. It just makes me feel good to have somebody that's got a good smile and uh, so forth to worship the Lord. So we're glad. I'm glad he was here. I'm sure you are too. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't want to get back in just some routine. I don't want to do that myself. Uh, I felt some good liberty in the Lord. And so we don't uh, want that to happen to us. And, uh, so what I preach tonight is uh, not uh, bound to, uh, not preached to set bondage, but rather to help us to be free, although it may not sound that way when we first start out here. So if you stand in order in uh, honor to the word of the Lord, I'm going to read you one verse of scripture in Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse number 24. Galatians um, uh, 5, 24. And it reads like this. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And uh, let's go through it together. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Let's do that again. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affection and lusts. One more time. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, for all that it means to us. God, wonderful, precious Savior. God, we thank you for all your goodness. God, your mercy, your kindness to us. My God, my God, my God. Jesus, 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 Jesus. My God, my God, my God. Oh God, oh God, oh God. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh God, my God, my God, my God. Jesus, 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 Jesus. My God, my God, my God. You may be seated. And I want to elaborate a little bit on what I uh, said on um, Sunday night in uh, speaking here. I, myself, I believe in the pastoral authority. I believe that in the body of Christ, we do have an order that's set there. The scripture's plain about that. I believe we need pastors. I believe that we need to abide by the pastor according to the word of God and to subject ourselves to the word. And also we need to attend church. We need to come to church early to pray. Uh, We need to be faithful in our attendance to church and faithful in our giving to the Lord. Our tithing is just giving the Lord what's his. It's just... Uh, hand that back to him in our giving unto the Lord, both financially and of ourselves. I believe those things are all very necessary things in the church, and uh, we must do them. But uh, when we think about some of these things, we have to be careful that we don't miss what our main reason in it all is. We don't come to church uh, for fel- because of fellowship, although we desperately need fellowship. 
And we don't come to church just because there's a law in the church, in the Bible that says that, or just because we want to obey the, the pastor. But our reason for coming to church ought to be that we want to meet the one that saved us. We want to glorify him and we want to lift up his name. And uh, we want to make sure that we made our calling and election sure. And uh, sometimes after a person's been in the church a while, they lose a certain quality about that and church becomes a bore or it, or it becomes uh, some problem to them. And I want to kind of tonight kind of talk along that particular line. But I know when I was saved and came into the church, I cannot tell you how thrilled I was the day I was saved. I just can't explain it to you. Some people come in slow and that sort of thing, but I'm telling you, I, I, the best word I guess, I was just tinkle, tickled pink. Uh, I was just so thrilled to come into the church. And uh, since I've been in the church, I've had several pastors. I've had pastors come and go and that sort of thing. And I haven't had any problem with pastors anywhere that I know of. Uh, and uh, I've enjoyed my pastors. I didn't always uh, agree. Some of the pastors I had were very liberal in their theology. And I didn't, I didn't feel like altogether it stayed by the word of God. But I honored those men. And I uh, had a great um, respect for them. And I still do. I still consider them great friends of mine. I have no problems there at all. But I do know one thing, that the pastor is not the criteria of it all. That uh, uh, The thing about it is, when that pastor's gone, he comes and he's gone, we have to live on. And the worst thing I can think of is for somebody to live one way under one pastor, another way under another pastor, another run another. And it's not the pastor that counts. Friends, tonight it's not the pastor that counts. We've got a God in heaven above that we are serving. And we need to get our mind and our heart upon Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, people uh, go up and down and some leave the church over pastors and so forth. Uh, you're leaving the Jesus Christ behind when you do that. It has nothing to do with the pastor or with the building. It has to do with the Lord of glory. And I have found in my experience, and I'm, I feel I can just brag about this at this point because it's been a long time. I've never been on a roller coaster. Never been up here this high and next week telling my wife, well, I think I'll backslide tomorrow. Nor did it ever cross my mind to do that. Because I'm not living in, I, I'm not living in that kind of a realm. I'm in another realm. Jesus Christ didn't save me to bind me up. He didn't save me to, to have problems, but he saved me to give me joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the best thing he did was to give a church that I could come to and pray through and have the glory of God in my soul. And uh, I told somebody I'm good-natured when I get up in the morning, and I wasn't always good-natured. And I don't say I'm always that good-natured, but basically, since I've received the Holy Ghost and I get up in the morning, I feel like singing. I feel like shouting. I feel like going on. I, I do. I feel like getting in front of the mirror and Saying, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, Lord, I thank you. But if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves coming to the church and our flesh will be controlling us. We'll be in opposition to God and the church will be our enemy. And that's the very thing that got you out of the pit, somebody in the church. And that joy can work off unless we do what this scripture verse says. So I'm dealing with this scripture verse and talking to you today. But I tell you, it's a blessedness to serve God. Amen. It's a wonderful thing to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And I've heard some testimonies here, and there's several people in here that I've preached into the church. Uh, and uh, I know your background. And uh, you come a long way to get out of where you were. And that joy ought to always be there no matter what happens. And it will be if we do that which is right. 
And uh, we, but we, there is something for us to do. Uh, but we're, after we're saved, and I don't want to go through that whole Bible study of the seven men and the two natures, but uh, there's something about that, that the flesh always wants to rise. The carnal man wants to come to the surface and to take us a direction we ought to not go. And uh, our problem is, is to get the flesh to do what it ought to do. And you've got to be the boss of your own house. Everybody somewhere, pat your house. This is your house. You've got to be the boss of your own house. When you were a sinner, you were not the boss. There's not a soul here that was a boss when you were the sinner. You did some of the dumbest things and some of the things that made you hell-bound that didn't even make common sense to you now. And you couldn't stop it either, and you know that's a fact. Shame on you if you don't, aren't glad that your flesh has been delivered and uh, don't keep coming right on and uh, taking things in hand and come on the way you ought to go. And so we have to bring our flesh to church and put it in subjection. We've got to be the boss. And I think we all know the scripture tells here in another part of Galatians here that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So you can't not do that what you would and, and gives you that whole story there. Uh, we are in a war. I notice our young children when they come into church and get the Holy Ghost, uh, they have a much greater struggle over this and they're easily, you know, taken aside and so where they need parental help. Uh, but we, their parents, we are older people, we don't have any parental help. If my mother was around, she'd still be helping me. She, when she was 70-some years old, she straightened me out every once in a while, helped me along. It's good for you. It'd be good if your parents in the church to get around them once in a while. I suppose you know, we go back east, and my two boys are there. Uh, they don't get along very, very long until uh, they have somebody that straightens them out. I don't say anything, so you know who does. <laughs> Corners them. I mean... I mean, and just lays them out. I heard, you know, you aren't praying the way you ought to. Now I'm telling you, you need to get with it, you know. And uh, it's good to have somebody like that. I have a tendency to gripe every once in a while about things. And I was going to a church where it was hard for me to take. And I came home and... I'll tell you, I was 40-some years, 50 years old or something like that. I don't know how old I was. And uh, we got home, and my mother got on my case. And we were living in a, what was that thing we were living in there in St. Louis? That, what do you call that? Oh, it wasn't a condominium, but it was like that. Anyway, townhouse. And the person next door in the townhouse was from headquarters. And uh, it went on kind of down the line. And those walls weren't too thick. And... Um, when my mother got on me, my, she got on. I couldn't get her to stop for nothing. And she must have gave me about a good half an hour. I'm telling you, you need to have the right spirit. There's nothing wrong with that and so on down the line, you know. And uh, I tried to, I know everybody in headquarters knew I had a bad spirit. <laughs> uh, but uh, sometimes it's necessary. I never forgot when I first came in the church, and uh, we hadn't been in the church any time, and it was, um, I think I came in April, and about May or June, something like that, the camp meeting was going to come on in July or something like that, and we had already, I had to set my vacation up down at work, and we made our plans to go up and camp, and up we'd every year we went up to the Dinky Creek up there in the Sierras to camp, 
So I come trotting in the kitchen, and my mother and Brother Urshan were standing there, and I said, well, we're getting ready to go camping. And Brother Urshan says, what? You're going camping and taking those babies of yours up in the woods when there's a camp meeting here? What in the world's the matter? And I, that's the way he said, what's the matter with you? And I was pretty jolly until that happened. And I thought I'd kill somebody or something. That's just how bad it was. Weren't you, were you there? Did he do like that? He just shook the foundations out from under me. And I couldn't, uh, if I could have, I would have backed off of that camping. I'll tell you the rest of the story. We went up camping, and it's the worst week I ever spent in my life. It was so miserable cold. My wife was sick most of the time, and I never went there again. I've never been back up there. That doesn't mean you can't go camping. I'm not shooting things. I'm just telling you sometimes we need to have it straight, gun barrel straight to get a hold of our flesh. I don't know. If he hadn't have done that, I may have never gone to camp meeting. That camp meeting was the most terrible place you ever did go. Paul went up, yeah, Paul went up there when they, when they first got going to the first, the first camp they had for children, I think. And uh, there were no showers. The water was, was, was warm up there. You can only get water part of the day. I, I can't go through it all. And when you stayed out there in the tent, those flaps would flap. That wind would come up at night, and the wind would flap up, and the dirt would come in, and it'd come back down, hold the dirt inside, and you'd choke and cough, roll out, get a big rock, huge rock, put it on the side of the tent, and the other side would fly out. And uh, that's the way it was. But you know that I went to camp every year it was there from then on. Like it or not. You know something else? The first time or the second time I went to camp, God called me to preach at that campground. I could have been up at Dinky Creek. Had all the equipment to go there. That's the essentials of equipment. But I had a shovel and a board somebody's I knew somebody's tent I could board those sort of things I had that but uh, so you don't know we don't know what God wants to do with our life and I won't go through the rest of that story there but there's a lot of things that are there and so the plan of God is for us to have peace and joy and a great fellowship and to feel wonderful when we're saints of God like we did when we were first saved that we want to tell everybody and and uh, our work in God changes naturally after we come along. We aren't necessarily as able maybe to be so joyous in our witness that we were. I don't think everybody stays the same place. The Spirit of God works differently through us as we go along, but we ought to have the same feeling about being in the church. And so this scripture verse tells us something here that we, we read it quite a bit in different, under different circumstances. And it says, They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And I know that word crucifixion uh, is a pretty rough word. Uh, it means we killed it. And he's talking about the carnal person. And most of the time when we look at this, we preach and talk about the, the lust of the flesh. And uh, so we'll turn here to First Peter and uh, read about what uh, Peter said about this. Uh, in First Peter chapter 2, and uh, starting in verse number 9, and uh, he says this, and notice how he puts the two things together here 
and tells us what a great thing it is to accomplish this. Now, everybody knows what the lust of the flesh is. You can uh, lust after food. You can lust after somebody from the opposite sex. There can be all kinds. Of, it's just that it's a driving desire. Some people, uh, liquor, all kinds of things. There's actually a lust that develops there. Uh, some for pictures and everything else. And so we know that's a real strong force. But Peter said, talking about us, we that are in the church, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Oh, I like that. A peculiar people. You should show forth the presence of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against the flesh. Abstain for from them. Stay clear of them. Uh, and the only way I know to do that is the scripture way, what it's, which it says is to stand up and flee that which is there. If somebody's sitting somewhere and the lust of the flesh comes upon them, get on your feet and get moving. The Bible says to do something about it. Flee the lust of the flesh. There's not a person here that can say, well, I'm not bothered with that. I don't care whether it's myself or anybody else. We're human beings, and that's a part of our life that's there. But I tell you, when something like that crosses across your mind, you need to just say, in the name of Jesus, and if you ride your car, now don't get out. Not when it's driving. But there is something to do. Move. Change that bodily position. If you're looking, quit looking. Stop yourself. That's crucifying your flesh. I just won't do it. I'm just not. And as soon as it comes in, you call on the name of the Lord and make the move, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll always feel good when you do that. It's not sin that when lust comes over you. What does James say about that? All right. You better say that again. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. Tempted when he's drawn away. But what else? And when lust has conceived, it forth When it has conceived. When you just let it work. And the, you move towards that when the two come together. When it's conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And that sin brings forth death. Talking about spiritual death, you become deader than a doornail. I don't know how that dead that is dead, though. When, when that happens to you, the lust of the flesh. And uh, it's not uncommon. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted of every temptation that can come in the flesh. He knows the temptations that you have. He was touched by the feelings of your infirmities. He was there. And uh, so we, we have to do something about that. And that's why the things that I teach in this church is abstain from the appearance of evil. Get up, walk out. You may have to insult somebody and say, hey, you know, uh, I just can't have you come in this house or... I can't come in there, whatever it is. Or you can just kind of coast along with it. And if you do, they're closing in. And close in on you. 
and uh, you can lose out. So we talk a lot about that, the, the um, lust of the flesh. I think we know what to do about them. But there's another word in here that uh, we're talking about tonight. And that is the word affections. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections. And the lust, uh, now the affections, you see, aren't so severe, you don't think. It doesn't sound that way. But what, what affections really are are the things that you, you love in the flesh. The loves that you have. And uh, the apostles told us, Paul spoke of it this way, he said, the things I once loved I now hate. The things I once hated I now love. And uh, that is where we have our biggest trouble. These are things that you used to do, that you love to do, that take up your time, and their energy and keep you separated from what you really need to do for God. Those loves can make you not want to come to church. You love to sleep. You, you love to have playtime. You want leisure. You, you want something else. They're loves. Affections. You won't get up to pray because you've got an affection for the bed. You love to sleep. How many love to sleep? Common, isn't it? <laughs> Look all over. Common. A lot of us love to eat. Common, common problem. Just a real common one. But he said, we're going to have to get a hold of those affections. Those are the little little uh, foxes that nip the vines that destroy a person. You've got other loves. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's nice clothes. Maybe it's car. Maybe it's most anything than that. And uh, when you have that kind of a love, he said, those affections will destroy you. Some people would rather fish than come to church, and they do it all the time. Some people have all kinds of desires like that. Now, it's, it's not, there's nothing wrong. I'm, I'm talking again here. There's nothing wrong with some of the things in the right light. But when it's a love, I had such a love for sports that if I hadn't, it wasn't a sin I was doing either. I wasn't gambling or doing nothing like that. It was just one of those weights that would have destroyed my life. And you know, I loved the Lord. I was filled with the Holy Ghost. I was in the church, and that I still had a television in my home at that point. In fact, the UBC hadn't said anything about it. Nobody had, as far as but that. But some, the Lord was talking. Somebody had. Jesus was talking to me about it. But I had that thing on, and a radio on, and a television on, two or three things at once. And I was going to church, and while I was sitting in church, I was thinking about if they don't get out of this service, that. Los Angeles Rams are playing out there in Chicago and I'm going to miss the kickoff and, and so on and it would be in my head and something inside of me said, you got your heart in the wrong place. I'm telling you, I know it spoke to me and I didn't do anything about it for some time. But I tell you, when I finally, when my boys came up and said, Daddy, isn't that the devil? When they were pouring that Paps Reuben rear and I was watching that guy punch the other guy in the nose, uh, I was smitten. I didn't take that set out right that moment. I'm telling you, I settled it right there. And uh, I just didn't know how to do it. I had other people in the house. And the Lord helped me. It quit. My wife said, you put it out so it could. No, sir. She said that, but that to me, but that wasn't the truth. And uh, I had no intention of fixing that. I called it a dog. It was a pretty good set, too. I don't remember where I booted it to, but I know one thing. It was gone. And I went to church and they began making fun of me. There was nobody there that they advertised it and had it. And 
fact, my pastor got up on the general conference when they came up and stood up and said, I'll put my church against anybody's. It's one of the, it's the largest youth group in, the, in my district. And uh, we, and he said, all come. And we got television. And he said, and we went down all down the line about it. Well, I can tell you the end of it. That church went to nothing. And he ended out in, back in the storefront building where he started with about three or four people. So, uh, and I, I appreciate the man, but we don't follow, I'd say that, say again, we don't follow pastors necessarily, but we can obey and abide by the rules. And so that's not what God wants. He wants us to so love him that our affections are set above and not on the things in this earth. Our affections have to be set above. And he says, you're going to have to take those affections that are not towards God and you're going to have to crucify them. Now, I'm going to try to give this to you in a nice way here, if I possibly can. You know, there's a lot of single people, uh, when they get married, they don't want to give up. They're old friends. There's a lot of men that I know on the job that would get married and instead of coming home at night, they'd, they'd run off with their same old friends and have their wife at home. That's not uncommon. And today it's not uncommon to see women like that that have just been married out somewhere, sitting with their friends, drinking in the cafe or somewhere. I notice that every once in a while. We notice that a lot, don't we? That we see married women out there sitting somewhere and their affections aren't at home. Their affections never did change the way they ought to. But if you love somebody with a pure love, I'll tell you, if you love them with a pure love, if you really, if you're going to get married, don't get married just because you saw somebody and he winked you girls or there's a boy here, you know, something like that. Hey, you want to make sure this fella here he does everything right. You ought to check it out. Don't get your eyes get covered over. But he does the things that suit me just fine. And uh, you ought to be a little bit choosy about it. And the first thing you ought to be choosy about it, are you number one or is he still going to go home to mama every night to cook and come, you know, and be gone? Is he going to be running around with these same friends or is he going to run around with you? But there's a lot of people that don't do that today. They run around with their old friends. I have a... Uh, niece was a pretty girl, blonde girl, and she married a nut. I don't know, what was that guy's name? I don't know. He's a nut anyway. Won't tell his name. He was crazy. I believe he really was. Here he has a pretty wife, and he's out running around some of these characters around the neighborhood, around San Jose area there somewhere. And the end of it all was he lost a good wife and lost his children to boot and everything else. And he really loved his, his boys. He, he did come and bring them things and uh, that sort of thing. But um, he just, you know, he didn't have his affections where they belong. He wanted to have a, he, he loved his wife in a sense. He took care of her, a good home, work, all that. But his affections weren't where they belong. He had Three or four different affections. And I'm trying to tell you tonight, if you're going to serve God, he's going to have to be number one in your affections above all else, even above your husband or your wife or whatever. He is going to be number one. Our affections must be settled in Christ Jesus. I must love him. I must come to church because I love him. I do come because I love him. I have to worship him because I love him. And when my flesh wants to do something else, I just have to say, flesh, I don't know what's all about that with you, but my friend, I love Jesus Christ. I'm going to sing, I'm going to shout, I'm going to clap my hands, I'm going to serve God. 
If you come because you're worried whether I'll get on you, I will if you don't come. But that won't help. Your affections need to be on the Lord. If you don't wear the right kind of clothes, I'll probably get on you. You're going to run with the styles of the world. Eventually, I'll catch it. And I'll get on you because I'm supposed to get on you. But that's not the point. We ought to love the Lord Jesus Christ enough that we aren't worried about the pastor. We're worried about the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. And we never have any problem that way because our affections are in the right place. And uh, they don't give up their old ways. They don't give up their past. Don't give up their old friends. I wonder what my wife would have thought when I moved her away from all of her family and took her down to California and moved in this little old apartment with some other folks and said, well, uh, make the best of it. I'll be back about 12 o'clock tonight. And then the next day I'd say, well, you know, I've lived here in Long Beach all my life and I've got a couple of friends that want me to kind of, you know, take a boat trip and something. I'll be back in a couple of days. She began to just get in her mind, he may not think so much of me after all. In fact, I know she would have. <laughs> you know? It just wouldn't uh, be the thing to do. That's not the way it works. But the Apostle Paul, here in the book of Corinthians, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 if you want to read here. He was talking about the church in Corinth. And he said, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, as by any means, as the serpent begotteth, God, begotteth Eve, through the subtility, so your mind should be corrupted. in Christ Jesus. It's a simple thing to know what to do in the church. There's no complications to it. And when this word espousal is used today like engagement, but it's not like the engagements we have around this United States. When they espouse you in the East to somebody, you're as good as married. You are the same as married. That's all there is to it. There's no backing off. There's no changing. When the dad and mother arrange the marriage and you're espoused, you're part of it. And Paul said to the church, I have espoused you to one husband, to Jesus Christ. You are espoused to him. You are to be a chaste virgin bride. And when we come to the Lord and we repent and we get the Holy Ghost and we are touched by the power of God, he cleanses us. He makes a new person out of us. I'm not talking about talking in tongues. I'm talking about the new birth. When you're born again from above and the Holy Ghost comes down on you, the things of the past are forgotten. What kind of a character you are, what kind of a person you are, is wiped out of the books. The Lord God's not walking and worrying about that. But after you've been a spouse, you're supposed to stay a chaste virgin, ready to meet the Lord God at any time. And uh, be ready all the time that he may come to take you to be his bride. It's a wonderful thing to be a spouse to the Lord of glory. Hallelujah. To be a part of the bride. I don't know anything can be any more wonderful in all the world than that. And he's even forgiving. But there's a, just like anybody else, just like that woman or that man that never, the marriage is always taken off somewhere. Pretty soon there's one day where that person says, you've gone the last time. I'm packing my suitcase. I'm going home to mama. 
And sometimes they go. And that's the end of it. And the Lord, it's a serious business now. So there's a simplicity in Christ. Now we're engaged. Isn't that nice? It really is. I know my wife was glad when I got her that expensive ring down there. <laughs> it's all I could afford. That was expensive. That little cafe is still down here in Portland where we went in there and I gave her that ring right here in this city. And then uh, left for a, almost two years. But that wasn't my doings. And uh, nevertheless, uh, that's a wonderful thing. And um, I was talking, I and my wife were, yesterday I believe it was, we went up to the, pay the cashier, and in, the, in talking to her, I, I think I said, you know, we were coming back to Portland, and I said, well, something about how fast time goes. She says, oh, yes. She says, time goes so fast, you know, I'm going to get married in November. And uh, I said, well, how long do you think time's going, fa going fast? I said, that's a long time. She says, oh, no. She said, I've got so many things to do. I'm just, you know, time's just going by, and she had this little ring on her finger there, and I'm telling you, she was so excited. I got so many things to do. I got so much to do. I got so much preparation to do, and she was excited, and it's still a long way off. Let me tell you, you are a spouse to Jesus Christ. He has marked you. You ought to be excited. You ought to be excited, and I'll tell you, there's preparation to do all the way along. She was right. I'm telling you, if you're going to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, we got a lot of preparation to do. There's a lot of things that we need to do in our life. Sometimes we have to change our dress and change our habits, and well, but it's worth it all. We are engaged to Him. And uh, we ought to be getting ready. And so let's turn to the book of Revelation and read what it says there again. And in Revelation, the uh, 19th chapter is where I want to go. And... Uh, Read this portion of scripture that talks about us in chapter 19, verse number 6. And it says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And we don't have any extra time at all to get ready. We got to keep sending a message to him. I love you, Lord. You think he's away for a long time, but your life will be gone. It'll be like a few days. I was away in the service. We talked about my wife. I was away for almost two years. And a lot of, a lot of that period of time, I was overseas in battle areas and so forth. And um, uh, we wrote letters back and forth as much as possible. And um, those letters conveyed every day. I love you. 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 I never get tired of those. Do you get tired of those? Better not. Never got tired. And if I hadn't said them, I had a little period of time. I already told about this. I had a little period of time where we were in Belgium in terrible, terrible conditions. And there was no letters, no mail could get out at all. And, uh, but I did. I did pretty good. I didn't have any tablet or nothing else. But I was able to connive some of these. And maybe most of you wouldn't know what they were. But these little V letters that they had. And... Uh, you wrote on them, and they took a photograph of them, and that day, that was something big, not like today. And they photographed those, then when they got here to the States, they blew them up and sent them out. I don't know how, they, how it went, but anyway, it was photographed, something like that, didn't it? But anyway, 
lo and behold, I get a letter and she says to me, you write, what are you doing writing them little letters? Haven't you got anything more to do than write me those crummy little letters or whatever they were? Well, she didn't understand the situation. I knew what she was talking about, but you know, you only got a few lines in there. It didn't amount to too much. You know, when you're really writing home, it takes pages. Telephones, it takes an hour today to talk to somebody that you love. And when you're writing, it took pages. Maybe you didn't or nobody ever got that. You know, you couldn't telephone back then. You either wrote or nothing. Nobody could afford to telephone phone calls like today, and so you wrote pages. I love you. You're so sweet. And uh, my darling. And I'm thinking about you all the time and all that. And it just went on and on. Didn't, and that was saying something. I never told anything about the war because you couldn't. And there was nothing to see but shells and smoke and troubles and problems. So, but that was great. But if you wrote it on a little page, that was, you know, nothing. I believe the Lord's the same way. It doesn't matter whether you're in trouble. It doesn't matter whether you're in discouragement. It doesn't matter whether all the world's forsake you. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one. The Lord's the one. He's the one. He's the one we talk to. He's the one that loves us. And he's the one that we talk to him. He's a wonder that he loved us when we were yet sinners and saved us. It's not because I first loved him. It was not because I went after him. But he went after me and he loved me. He loved me first. He saw me and he loved me. And he called me and he chose me. And I have to say I love you, Jesus. I have to stop every bit and say I love you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Oh, I adore you, Lord. You're a marvelous and a sweet Savior. Hallelujah. 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 But, but some come to short church and you're shortening him. You're writing one of those little V letters. And it's not time for V letters. You come to the altar and... Hallelujah, praise God. You're off talking to somebody. Some don't even get off the ground. They kneel down. Some friend kneels by them, and I see they have a conversation. You don't get very far that way either. And I know those things happen. They happen to everybody. But we don't want to make a practice of anything like that. I really believe in, uh, that every time there's a chance to pray, it has nothing to do whether you feel like it or not in a cause. And if you don't feel like it, let me talk to somebody here. Maybe you sit there and, and I say, come on up and pray. And you wait for everybody else because you don't feel like it. You're making a big mistake. Go ahead and crucify the flesh and come, come down the first one. When you get here, you'll see what God will do when you begin to say, oh, Lord, you know, I, I didn't feel like it, but I want, do want to tell you I appreciate you saving me and I love you. And I praise you and I adore you. And you talk a little bit like that to the Lord and he's going <coughs> to let you know he's still a spouse to you and you're his bride. And he appreciates that experience. And so our church services are geared to that. And uh, I still feel like so many times we wait and feel like the preacher, if you'll just preach me there, I'll come. If you'll just get me there, I'll come. But that's really not it. And sometimes I think some of the times when the sermons fall and fail, it's because God knows everybody's waiting for somebody to preach them a camp meeting sermon and serve their heart and soul to come. And that really doesn't need to be. And um, when we come, and even after we've been in the church a long time, we come, we thank God, we begin to think, God, what would I be if I weren't saved? And where would I be if my dad and mother, some of dad and mother weren't in the church and brought me and I, or whatever it is, comes to your mind. And you begin to think about that and you begin to thank the Lord and so forth. You know what? It brings a little tears to your eyes where we can get some conviction to save sinners. But if we don't love him enough to cry about our own sins, how can we cry about somebody else's? I'm so sorry for the kind of a rascal I was. I can't tell you how sorry I am. 
And I don't mind telling God. I go back to the pit every once in a while and say, God, I, I want you to know. And I don't know why you chose me, but I'm so glad you did. And so the preparation is a joyful experience. Choosing the garments. And the whole parade. And he said, the bride's making herself ready. The wife is making herself ready. She's preparing. And uh, if we're really preparing, uh, we're worshiping, giving our love out, and uh, we're doing the right thing. That's what church service is really about. If we don't do it, we're not looking at the mercy of God aright. We're looking at our salvation like this. I wish I could go over there and do what that person's doing. Maybe if I had another pastor, I could go and watch one of those televisions or that movie or something like that. We're not preparing. We need something to take to the altar and save flesh. I'm preparing to meet my Redeemer, the lover of my soul. And I don't want anything but what you told me to do in this book. I think everybody ought to read Esther every once in a while. And it says of Esther, she didn't need one thing for that man Chamberlain to bring to her. She had what she needed. In this Bible, we have what we need. The word has been given to us. It's what we need. It'll prepare us. But we have to put it on. We have to be able to do what God says. I'll tell you, we have to look at this, the flesh that we got through the eyes of God. And the flesh wants to do that which is wrong. I've mentioned this. And sometimes you mentioned it more, I guess, about girls and so forth, about tight clothes or, or short sleeves or whatever it is. But all those things, you're preparing to meet a holy God. So holy that he told the priest in the Old Testament, don't you make any steps going up that altar. I want it plain so they don't see your ankle bone. He's always hated nakedness. And so you know he hates the United States this time of year. And uh, so we don't harp on those. I don't harp on those things because um, I want to show some authority or something like that. But uh, the thing about it is we want to make heaven our home. We want to be in the bride of Christ. And it's a desire of the flesh to do what it wants to do. And so he said, crucify your affections. I know how it is. I'm not a girl, but I know if I go down with my wife shopping and I see things and every once in a while I see something there, you know, and I think, well, my, that would really look nice, but it's not the thing to do. Or some new things comes out. I, when I was in Bible college, I had more trouble with the boys. Uh, I know I was out in St. Louis, and, and uh, lo and behold, remember those ties they came out with? Got everybody in that music department. One guy started, they came in, they had these ties that were so huge, big bow ties on their throat. And uh, I couldn't wait to get a hold. No, I didn't get a hold of their throat. But I, I couldn't. Uh, I'm telling you, I wasn't totally in charge of that part of the program. But uh, I, it just drove me crazy because it was something brand new come in. Some people, the first time that something comes on the market, they got that thing on them, parachute, parachute pants or leather pants or, or whatever it is with boys, and the girls have got some outlandish thing. And I've told about some of those things in my days, you know, when they wore the dresses so they couldn't walk at all. And then they turned around and put on sack dresses where you couldn't tell who was in there or how many were in there 
or anything else. And uh, it just went from one extreme to the other. And then the thing that was really the killer is when those boys got up on their high heels and come trotting in with those high heel shoes and they were high. Yeah. And pastors about went bananas. If I could put it that way, that's kind of using, but you know, it did just about drive you crazy. And every time you turned around, and they had a big article in the paper about the French, the French just took over this country on styles. And those designers they had, and there wasn't one of them that was a man. Oh, they were dressed like men, and they had men's names, but they were all effeminate fellas, you know, going around. They were putting girls' clothes on boys, and boys' clothes on the women. They got the jeans on them back there then, and they actually did buy them and get in the bathtub and shrink them on. That's right. You just check back and you'll see that's what they did. They bought those shrink pants and shrunk them on. How they ever got them off, I don't know. They were that tight. I mean, they were tight, legs, waist, everywhere. Just that way. And so it went. But, well, we're a spouse to Jesus Christ. And our, our desire may be, you know, but we have to say, hey, I got a... Bridegroom come, I'm engaged to be married. He won't like me that way. We don't say the pastor won't like me. He won't, but that's not the point. Are you getting the point? There's a point here in this thing. We're going to go on through the years. And uh, we do need somebody to really get right on our case, just like I told you happened to me. Just kind of put the finger in the nose once in a while. That helps us. But on the other hand... We need to do that which we know to be right. And uh, modesty is something I can talk about here that is so essential to God because it's so essential to hear his small voice saying, this is the way, walk you in it. That little voice that whispers and says, no, that's not the way. And you know that if you're wanting to please God at all and you go shopping or somewhere, the Lord will instruct you. If he doesn't, somebody will come along and laugh at you. The Lord will send somebody and say, what a silly looking deal to his wife and you'll hear him or something. He'll send you a message if you'll hear it. I've had a lot of messages come on the slant. You know? And uh, God let you hear. This, that's not the way. And uh, if we do that, we're going to be lovers of the Lord. We're going to draw nearer to him. We'll, he'll be more dear to us. We'll be sending more letters to him. We'll, we'll, uh, it'll just be a change in our life. There's something about church. It'll just be different. When we feel that feeling, we'll say, that isn't the feeling I want. That's, that's not the way I'm going. I don't care if he sings that song 16 more times. Uh, it's, it's not the song. It's, I'm here to worship God. And uh, sometimes the 18th time is when you finally, all of a sudden, it catches your heart and you just really get into the singing of it. And it really gets a hold of you. It's not the pastor that counts in the long run, but it's this book here. When it's all said and done, I'm your pastor. You follow me as I follow Christ. That's fine. But this book is it. This is it. And the uh, pastor stands as a mediator in a mediatorship. But on the other hand, you're your own mediator. He's in a mediatorship to give you the word of God hear from God and give you the word, but you've got to go to the God yourself. You are personally a spouse to Jesus Christ. And you must answer to him and not to the pastor. You're going to have to answer to God because there's a lot of you. 
you think I'm strong on things, you know, I find somebody that's just weak. And you say, I'm answering to the pastor. He said, it's all right. You can wear a tank top to church if you want to. And there's places where they don't, they wear shorts to church. Where the fellow sitting at the organ's got an open neck shirt, macho shirt playing the organ. Well, I'm not a spouse to a pastor for the church building. I'm a spouse to Jesus Christ. Amen. And if that pastor don't tell me all there is to do, you think I'm going to change? Everywhere I go, I'm going to be riding a new conveyance of some kind. If you, I should live 15, 20 more years and you meet me somewhere, I ought to be the same way as I am now. Never have changed that I know of this point. Why should I change? And I've been here and there and everywhere. I'll tell you something about it. I'm a spouse to Jesus Christ myself. I know, I know, he, I know he saved me. I know he called me. I know he loves me. And when nobody else loves me, he loves me. My wife gets, don't even like me anymore. I like the Lord and he, I know he likes me. And, uh, you know, it just goes that way. And I have no desire for macho. Those sort of things. I'm glad I don't because if I did, I'd have to save flesh. We're going to take, crucify those affections and get rid of them. And uh, we're going to be a modest person before God. I'll tell you, if we do, those things that are necessary to prepare for the wedding will be so busy straightening ourselves out that we'll have no, buzz, no trouble, we'll have no time to straighten anybody else out. That's where pastors are having their trouble today. There's so many, they can't. There's so many things that try to straighten out, they can't do nothing. They just have a nervous collapse. You know, it'd be like uh, you don't have any children, all of a sudden you've got uh, 20 of them and they're all five years old and uh, born in the house at once. You can't handle it. We need to handle ourselves. I don't think we have, we don't have that troubles here, but I'm trying to get a, a point across to us that Jesus Christ is the lover of our souls. We love him. He loves us. Everything we do is on that basis. And we come to church on that basis. And if we... Return our love to Jesus Christ when he touches us. I tell you, we are going to have the joy of God down in our soul. We will not have a sad face. When I read about this in Titus, even, about the coming of the Lord, and I want to read that again. We're coming to the close here tonight. Whenever I read what he has to say, I tell you it thrills me to think about the coming of our Lord. And it talks about this in Titus 2.11. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify on himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. I tell you, that is the kind of a person I want to be. One of those kind right there. Denying all those things, looking for his coming, zealous of good works. And when we are, then the joy of God comes down in our soul. It's joyous to serve God. Every day we hope you'll break the clouds of glory. What a joy it is to serve Jesus. What a thrilling thing it is to serve him. Hallelujah. And the peculiar people it talks about here, Peter picks that up again. And we're just going to read these scripture verses as we go right down to the close. But in the book of of uh, First Peter, the first chapter, verse number two, he said, 
elect according to the foreknowledge of God by the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. And uh, I'm going to skip down just over this now. He says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice. I hope you do. Wherein you greatly rejoice with a hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Though now for a season it need be you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, and I like this, you haven't seen your bridegroom. You just had him described, and he's a perfect lover of our soul. Whom have not seen, you love. And whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. Not just a little bit. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Haven't even seen him, but I know he's perfect. I, have, I don't know anything really about him except he's perfect. He's the lover of my soul. He loved me for, with all the things that I did that was wrong. He loved me with that kind of a love. In the fourth chapter, verse 13 and 14, it says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory of God resteth upon you, and on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. They say, why, you look like a stick in the mud. You don't have any paint on your face and all this sort of thing. He said, happy are you. You suit your bridegroom just right. That's just exactly the way he likes it. He's got it spelled out. You're doing the right thing. And uh, the joy of God's on us. Then 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, he said, that which we have seen and hath declared unto you, we, unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the Father and with the, his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, and these things we preach unto you, I'm going to put it that way, that your joy may be full. Clear up full tank. That your joy may be full. And the last writing of the general epistles, Jude, in the next to the last verse, verse 24, says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. 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 Let's stand and worship him. Hallelujah, amen, God exceeding joy, hallelujah, hallelujah, amen, 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 hallelujah. Oh God, it's exceedingly joyful to worship you. Oh God, my God, my God, my God, oh Lord my God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. My God, my God, my God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. My God, my God, my God. Oh God, hallelujah, hallelujah.
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. My God, my God, my God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh God, oh God, oh God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah, praise God. Hallelujah. I'm asking my wife to come up here. Now, I pick on her once in a while, and somebody here might think I don't love my wife. <laughs> but uh, I love her. She's just the sweetest thing that ever was. And sometimes I ball her out openly. <laughs> and she says, those people will think you, there's just something the matter with you, but she balls me out when you're not there. <laughs> and lets me have it. <laughs> Tells not me, much. not much. <laughs> but we do it because we love each other. And uh, we want to have the proper home. We want to make heaven our home. Amen. And every once in a while, it's good to have somebody put the finger on your flesh. I get really upset sometimes when you do that, but I love you anyway. <laughs> and uh, that's the way it is. And uh, we have to have somebody put the finger right where it is. And the pastor does that. The Lord sometimes just himself does that. And when you're home, your father and mother do that and your grandmother or somebody, and if nothing else, if you're sticking around the church very long, somebody in the church will get on your toes. And Brother Dinwiddie has a place there where he's got feet that stick out there. He could really get tramped on. The longer your feet, the more trouble you could get in. But through it all, the whole thing is because Jesus loves us and wants us to be saved. He's going to have somebody rub us and help us to make heaven our home. He loves us enough that he wants to work on us. And I hope we love him enough that when we come to church or whatever we do for him, we do it with that kind of a heart. God, I love you. 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 Let's tell him again. Lord, I love you. God, I love you. God, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. My God, I love you. I love you. I love you. My God, my Lord, my Savior and friend. I love you. I love you. I love you. My God, I love you, I love you, I love you. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. My Lord, my Lord, my Lord. My God, my God, my God. My God, my God, my God. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you love me. Thank you, Lord, that you changed me. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. My God, my God, my God, my God, my God. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord.